Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks. Welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can get in queue by calling 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your questions, concerns, or comments, Matt will answer the phone, and all you need to do is give him your name and where you're calling from, and that's about it. And then you just hang on, first come, first serve. So thanks for having me on your show, and uh, guess what? Let's talk about the ups and downs, your annuals. Wow. The pansies that I bought, I've, I think we've gotten two-plus months out of them. They're still looking pretty darn good. Usually by this time of year, they've really overly elongated. The stems are really weak, and I end up you know, giving them the toss. But I'm going to keep them around for a little bit longer. Your daffodils, your tulips, and all that other stuff, if the foliage has turned halfway brown, you can cut them all the way down to the ground. You don't have to leave any stubs or anything else. So that's you can get rid of that, you know, sort of. They start looking, and especially if they start bending over because they start looking like weeds. And your edibles, how about the ground covers? What are they looking like? Uh, houseplants, lawn, yes. Your zoysia lawn should start perking up. And I'm going to go, I, I'm not decide, or I haven't decided totally if after my uh, walk and talk today, I'm going to go home and do some stuff in the yard. I may do another second fertilizing on my zoysia. I did one last, early last month. Not early. If, or let's see, when would it be? Yeah, it would have been near the end of April because it was so warm. And I might do another one today. I haven't decided if I'm going to or not. Tree shrubs, vines, water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but always remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but offered for you to consider. As I said before, Matt is producing. So during the week, I do some landscape consulting. So if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage will have my email address and phone number. And to be honest with you, I'm getting a little lazy with my website. And uh, But anyway, still the homepage is that's where the information is. And this week, after the show, as I said before, I'm headed to Winsville. And then on Wednesday, I'm going to be going to Maplewood and Barnhart for my walk and talks. And the tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to the National Garden Clubs, and that's the one that's headquartered near the Botanical Garden. They were founded in 1929, and it's most one of the most recognized not-for-profit, non-profit, largest volunteer gardening organizations in the world. In the 19, <laughs> the 19, and the National Garden Club 2017 Award of Excellent winners are Dr. Alan Steenman. Steenman, he's a director of the Alan I and Helen J Hunting, and a director of the Robert B. Annis Water Resource Institute, 
at Grand Valley State University in Muskegon, Michigan. So he's published all kinds of articles and everything else. And uh, he's so he's the award winner. Also, Pearl Fryer, and she's a self-taught topiary artist and horticulturist. Visitors from around the globe travel to visit Pearl Fryer's topiary garden in Bishopsville, South Carolina. They mark they marvel at just her remarkable work. And also another national award by the National Garden Club is the Heirloom Seed Project, and that's Meadowmack Valley. High School in Waldeber, Maine. It's the oldest and one of the largest school-based seed-saving programs in the United States. So, again, these are awards every year. The National Garden Club, which is headquarters here in St. Louis. It's actually on the grounds of the Botanical Garden. It's between, like, the Botanical Garden and Tower Grove Park. But uh, they give these awards out every year. So those are the three winners. Sorry if I mispronounced any of the names or anything like that. So they get the tip of the trowel today. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, to the phones we go, South County, and that's where Lois lives. Hi, Lois. Hi, this is uh, Lois, and I want to know, I bought two miniature boxwoods last fall, planted them. They planted them last fall, and the front one is really good with new growth, real green and nice, but the back one developed these orange leaves, and um, there's not much new growth. There is some, but I I, I don't know just quite what to do. I called the... Um, the place where I got it, and they named some kind of a chemical, but I I don't remember, and I'm wondering if you could help help me decide what to do. To me, anything that's been installed that recently, a chemical is not going to solve the problem. There was something related to the plant in and of itself, either the location, how deep it was planted, you know, or something along that line. A chemical is not going to solve this problem. Oh, okay. So, I mean... Uh, I like it's kind of guaranteed. Do I? What do I do? Do I take it back, or how do I? I would call them and ask them. Tell them, you know, it's the foliage losing some foliage. It's not showing any kind of growth. Now, did they install the plant themselves? Um, yes, I had it installed by somebody they suggested. Okay, so basically, you know, like I said, that's not a chemical. They're, they're, what they're probably going to tell you is until all the leaves fall off, it's not technically dead, which is totally true. But uh, it's very, you know, it's a little bit frustrating to kind of have this thing, you know, why it's, you know, why this is happening. It's not going to be solved by, you know, spraying something on it or pouring something on the ground. So either it's planted too low, like I said, the root system is, you know, not good. But if you got one that came at the same time, that's really looking good, and this one's in close proximity, there's something wrong with that particular plant that's not looking good. So call them, ask them, tell them you're not satisfied with the aesthetic value of it, whether it's dead or not. Okay, yeah, that's true. And so, um, you know, um, it is kind of guaranteed, but not always, not the whole way. So, okay, well, thanks a lot. Yeah, that's it's unfortunate, it but uh, yeah, so uh, I, would, I would call them and let them know that you're not really happy with it. Let's go now to Arnold in Bob's yard. Bob, what's going on? Hey, Mike, I got planted some daylilies and a lyapis, and I got rock around them. What? Good to put a, kill the grass around it without killing the flowers. Basically, 
Daylilies and liriope, they're in the grass family, so you got to be very, very careful. If these were like broadleaf, you know, perennials, you could spray a grass killer around. But if you got grass in beds with these guys, it's going to be a very, very difficult, you know, weedy, you know, weedy grass, whatever kind of grass it happens to be, difficult to get that under control. You're going to have to basically protect the plants, the daylilies or the little riope, with like a piece of cardboard or something and go out there and spray an herbicide to kill the weedy grasses you're trying to get rid of. Yeah. So we got rocks on them, but have the left ditch we smother it all out? Uh, the rocks are not going to smother anything. I didn't think they would. <laughs> <laughs> One more question. I got a Japanese maple. Yeah. About 10 years old, and it's feeling sickly. What's wrong with it? Uh, Japanese maple, some of the varieties, you know, when they hit a certain age, they just go downhill. Now, is this one that kind of grows like an umbrella, sort of the same yeah. height? Yeah. They, you know, th- some of them will last for a long time, but other ones, even by people that, now I'm not saying you don't know what you're doing, but let's say by horticulturalists, they just go downhill. Then there's nothing that can be done. Another thing. Because it, it's been real good till this year, and we covered it up when that frost was coming through, you know, when the other things started leaving out. Right. And we still got dead leaves and that on it. Yeah, if there's only a few, you know, as long as you've got some good leaves, you know, I wouldn't rush out there and yank it up out of the ground, but I'd watch out. If you start seeing major branches, you know, where all of a sudden the, all the leaves on that branch turn brown, then it's headed to, to you know, downhill. This, I mean, those are hybrids. They are, you know, they've been grafted, the root system that they're growing on. They've been stuck on that root system, so they're a little bit iffy, and sometimes it's just you never know, even after a period of time, why they go downhill. But sometimes they do, and then sometimes they don't. All righty. I appreciate it. Sure. In other words, just pull grass and leave the flowers alone is what you're trying to tell me. Exactly. Or pr- spray an herbicide, making sure you don't get the herbicide onto the plants, the liriope or the daylilies. What about the root system? Will it sink in that far? Yeah. If you get a systemic-type herbicide like the Bonite Cleanup or Roundup or stuff like that, yeah. that goes all the way down through the stems into the ground and kills the root system, too. All righty. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you very much. Certainly. Now let's go from Arnold out to Chesterfield and talk with Rob. Rob, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Uh, this is about um, Korean uh yellow groove bamboo that, uh, as you probably know, is very invasive. Right. And I wanted to see what the best way was to um, eliminate that. I can't physically dig up all the roots uh, in certain areas, but uh, do you recommend um, Tordon for applying to the root zone or the rhizome root? Certainly you could use that. You could use Roundup for killing woody plants. You know, you could use any of that stuff. You know, so either one of those type things would, you know, will work. Do you have to go and dig up the the rhizome root and cut it and actually paintbrush it onto that, or can you put it on the foliage of the plant? You can put it on the foliage of the plant. It'll translocate it down into the plant. Okay. So you can spray it on, and will uh, I've heard some concern about it could toxify the soil. Yeah, Tordon you know, could certainly possibly do that. And with any kind of herbicide, you just have to read the label and everything else. Now, I don't know how many stems, you know, canes of bamboo you have coming up, but also you can cut them off like at two feet and just paint the herbicide right on to right after you make the cut onto the open wound of where you cut the cane off. 
Okay, yeah, there's hundreds of them, literally. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's yeah. gotten out of hand, and yeah. um, you know, it's just getting into too much stuff. Right, it'll go. So. I mean, it'll keep going and going and going and going. Okay, so you don't have to dig that rhizome root then. No, you don't. Uh, you can you can just cut the stalk and right. put it on the top of that, or even spray the foliage. Right, exactly. And what you need to do okay. too is in the springtime, that you see those shoots coming up that look like asparagus shoots. Go out right. there right at that time and go after them because it's going to probably take several years to finally get rid of this. Okay. Is this the same uh, herbicide that the state highway would use? Um, uh, I don't know that for sure if it is, you know, so it very well could be. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Certainly. And now let's go to John, and John is in Baldwin. Hi, John. Good morning, Mike. Hi. How you doing today? Very good. Good, good, Mike. We have an eastern redbud, and it's about it's fourth, fourth or fifth year. It's 12 feet high now. Wow. And uh, we're just looking at the bottom branches. Should we start cutting those off? To, they're about three feet off the ground as opposed to 12. Yeah, no, there's no reason to cut them off unless you just want to. I no, mean, okay. if you look at the, you know, the, the cedars, this is an eastern cedar which grows along the highway. It's a native-type thing, and they can have branches all the way down. To the ground, okay. basically. All right, so we leave it alone. It's no problem. It's going to grow as a tree. Right, exactly. Okay. Ultimately, as you're probably looking at 25 feet, it's about as tall as it's going to get. So uh, may I ask you about another tree? Sure. You saw this one. You were out here last year. It's a weeping cherry, and there was a paint on the uh, trunk. And you said, who put this in? And we won't say who, but you know who. <laughs> and he said, you told us. It should be pointed to the north and right. pointed to the east. Well, that tree isn't doing so hot, and um, there's some dead branches. Any harm in cutting them off? No, no. Get rid of any kind of dead stuff. Just make sure you don't leave a big stub. And, yeah, the, the production nurseries paint you know, a dot on the trunk of the trees to orient towards the north because that's the side that one that was growing at the nursery was facing the north. That's one the side that doesn't want to be facing, you know, an area that's going to get more sun because you could get sun scald on the bark and cause bark splitting. Yeah, that's what's happening. Yep. All right. Thank you, Mike. Have a good day. Yep, you too. Bye. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. We're headed west to Wentzville. And Shirley, how are you today? Just fine. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, I have three questions. Do I use the same fertilizer on trees that I use on my lawn? You should probably not. You should probably get a fertilizer that's formulated for trees, one that's formulated for lawn. Okay. I mean, it's just... Uh there are certain micronutrients within a fertilizer type that the other one may not have. And so, it, I mean, it's, it's just crucial if you're fertilizing for the right reasons. Now, with trees, you can do something called deep root feeding where you actually have somebody come out and auger holes and just backfill it with compost. So you don't necessarily need to use fertilizer around your trees if your trees are healthy. But you can use a fertilizer for trees if you like. This is just a small tree that I put in last fall. It's probably a couple years old, um, so I probably wouldn't go that far. No, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't even bother fertilizing it yet because the root system oh. may not be developed enough to even absorb it, so you may be just wasting your money. Okay, but when I start, do I use granule? 
Yeah, I like granule, but if you do the granule, then you have to water it in. So, and if you put right. it on top of mulch, you definitely got to water it in because the mulch can bind it up. So you got to water it in enough so it's going to get down through the mulch. Okay. All right. Another question is: uh, I took a tree, or it's uh, just a almost a shrub, but it's a, about eight or nine foot tree. I took it up from the front of my house and. Um, they had to grind the stump. It wasn't a huge stump. They had to grind it. So I'm going to have to take that soil out. My problem is I, I just live in a, a villa that has a very small yard, mm-hmm. and I don't have a place to dig up more dirt to put in there. So I'm going to have to purchase what I put in. So what kind of um, what, what do I buy to put in there? Uh, you know, if you're going to try to grow stuff back in this space, I'm assuming that's that's what you're trying to do. You could just leave the existing soil there. I don't know why you think you need to take it out. Well, uh, it has the tree stump is ground in there. Okay, you get as much of the grindings out and that because if just removing the soil, you're going to have to dig out the root system too, or else you're just wasting your time. I, I thought I've heard you say that that you can't grow something else over where you have ground to stump in the in the soil. Right, exactly. So if, if you're going to take the soil out, you're going to have to take the root system out at the same time. Well, that everything is out. Okay, so you've already pulled everything out. Okay, yes. root, root system, all the stump grindings and everything else. Then just get a topsoil compost blend. Topsoil compost, okay. Um, I want to put another shrub back in there. That's fine. Okay. Um, and also, have you ever heard of uh, rhododendron or azalea growing in uh, full sun? Oh, sure. There's plenty of them. I mean, there's some even at the Japanese garden, at the botanical garden, that were planted in the full sun intentionally. And a lot oh, okay. of times they're going to do better in the full sun than in competition with larger mature trees, which virtually, I mean, kind of more or less choke them to death, let's put it that way. This is on the south side of the house, and the siding is white, and it, it, it sort of illuminates the sun. Right. Uh, That's probably not the ideal spot, but, I mean, if you get a good variety like a PJM rhododendron, that one should be able to handle that circumstance. Okay. I thought it was always all shade. No, okay. definitely not. All right. That answers my question, and thank you very much. Great. Yeah, and if you're going to put a rhododendron, you know, or any basically anything, you know, in that circumstance where you're getting reflective heat and all that other stuff, make sure, at least for the first year, it does not go through drought stress. I mean, that is crucial because it's establishing a root system, and if the root system doesn't get established, then it's, you know, got real problems in the future. Carter lives in Arnold. Hi, Carter. Hey, Dr. Mike, uh, I need to talk to you before I do surgery here. I <laughs> <laughs> have a, a uranimus, uh-huh. and, I, and I think I had some, uh, uh, some pest issues, and I put a very mild insecticide soap on it, which I, it, it was like those real silky, it might have been bagworms, but um, it killed off like two of the main branches that are coming up out of the ground, Whoa. Where, where the tree, the twigs were just snapping off. Um, all the foliage is off, but when I bend the branches, there's some elastic to it. Will these come off, or should I just get busy and cut them off at the ground and let the tree try to, f- or this Euronymus fill in? I would say cut them off. Yeah. Because, okay. I mean, if there's even a little bit of flexibility, that doesn't mean too much. What okay. you can do is take your fingernail or your thumbnail or whatever, scratch the bark off a little bit. If it's green underneath there, you can wait for a little bit, but it doesn't sound good. Okay. 
So basically, um, we're going to do something. Oh, you know what? I'm scraping it as we speak. And um, what am I looking for, green? This yeah, just dead. right underneath the bark, it should be light-colored. You're not looking for green-green, just, let's say, kind of a whitish-greenish look. You know what? It looks white. It looks white in there. Okay, so you can leave it. That means it's not totally dead yet. So if you want to, you know, fool with it, you can, or you can just still eliminate it. If it's something that you're looking at a lot, then you, you know. You yeah, get... it, so I need to do surgery on this guy. Yeah, and also, okay. if it's a big, important area, what you can do is go find out which variety it is. If you don't know, take a leaf with you to a garden center. Get a small one and plant it, you know, to kind of plug this hole aesthetically. Oh, okay. This is a real pain in the butt. I, I had a really healthy one, and I ended up pulling it out with a pickup truck. Whoa. Uh, it was it was <laughs> eight, nine feet tall, this other ah. one, and I could shape it. Um, one more quick question, sure. and this is another surgical question. I have some hybrid um, pear trees. I, I have no idea what these things are, but they're beautiful. Um, got some low-lying branches. I, I always try to trim the suckers off, but these are kind of crossing over in the street. If I take these off... Um, will that hurt these trees? No, it shouldn't. Just Very make sure good. if they're longer branches, cut them off in one-third at a time, making the final cut where you just leave a stub on the trunk or the next biggest branch that you're cutting it from, just a you know quarter to a half inch. That's all the stub you want to leave. Don't make a real smooth cut because it takes it forever to try to heal those spots. Got it. And, and I've used uh, some of that. It's not the old paint, you know, like with the lead in it, but I've used some of that stuff that, is that even effective, or is that a waste of my time? That's cosmetic. You might as well be putting makeup on the tree. Okay. Well, I put perfume on a pig. So. <laughs> okay, so um, good good stuff. I will get busy today. I'm going to go into surgery in about 35 minutes. Great. Make sure you have rubber gloves on. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, thank you, sir. Have a great sure. day. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these message farms. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we got about 10 minutes of the Garden Hotline. Then at 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Adam Bold. 11 o'clock, the Helotech water, Waterproofing Home Improvement Show with Scott Mosby. 1 o'clock, Rick Edelman. And 3 o'clock, Car Pro Show. 5 o'clock, KMOX Profiles. And then baseball after that. So all kinds of stuff going on today, just like usual. Jerry lives in Washington. Jerry, how are you today? I'm fine, Mike. Uh, Thank you for your show. Um, I have a hollyhock problem. Uh, The leaves, the lower leaves, this problem starts at the bottom. There's little round things on the top of the leaves. They're little round spots, about an eighth of an inch in diameter, and kind of sunk down. On the bottom side of the leaves are about BB size, maybe a little bit smaller uh, galls all over the leaves. And the leaves uh, curl up, turn brown, and die. Uh, would you? Is this a uh, fungicide problem, or do I need an uh, insecticide? Uh, now, we're we talking about the hollyhock that's a biennial that puts out leaves one year and the second year puts out leaves and then sends up a flower stalk is that what we're talking about yes they're very tall they're in bloom right now right. i've been i've been out of the country for 10 days and i came home and uh, they're in beautiful bloom the tops look good i had the same problem last year and i called but you said you'd get an answer the next weekend and i was gone so i couldn't listen yeah 
To be honest with you, I don't think that I wouldn't worry too much about it. I don't think well, it's it, a, it kills the whole thing off. Within another week, these will all be dead. Uh, so, and that interrupts the flowering because they're biennials. Usually, once they flower, they're dying anyway. Yeah, but this is some type of a gall on there. It's not on the on the nicer leaves. It starts. It's. I have some plants that don't have this. Right. What I would do is probably take a leaf to the, you know, there's a garden center out there in Washington. Just take a couple leaves to them. Let them take a look at it. Okay. That's probably the best thing you can do. Okay. Yeah, I'll take them into Hillerman. Right, there, exactly. So. so, okay, Mike, thanks for the info. Yeah, sorry, I, you know. But, uh, you know, hollyhocks are, I mean, they're tough and durable, and um, you know, but they are biennial. But the, obviously you've got a problem beyond that. So now let's jump from Washington over to Mascouda and go into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. Uh, last year we planted about a five-foot blue spruce. And this year, it really uh, came out nice, a lot of new growth. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if I should be fertilizing uh, that blue spruce. Not yet. Let it get established a little bit more so, like probably maybe by the third year. And for anything that's evergreen like that, you want an acid-based fertilizer, so for any kind of evergreen plant. So, in other words, that's going to have those micronutrients, a little bit more sulfur, a little bit more iron, things like that, that an evergreen, whether it's a broadleaf evergreen like a holly or azalea or a conifer, you know, that has needles like your spruce. Um, like I couldn't use miracle Grow. Well, miracle Grow has one specifically for acid-loving plants. It'll say it right on the box. It does? Yes. Yeah. Okay, and that's what I should use. Yes. After about three years. Yeah, after two or three years. Fertilizing it now, I wouldn't, you know, let it get established a little bit. The feeder roots are probably not there, you know, well enough to even uptake the, you know, the fertilizer you're going to be putting down. So just don't do it then. And probably the best time to fertilize would be, you know, as probably midwinter, maybe late winter, early spring, sometime like that. All right, thank you, Mike. Yep, yep, good luck with that. And now let's go stay in Illinois, Fairview Heights, and go into Barbara's yard. Hi, Barbara. Good morning. Hi. I, <clears throat> I purchased two hibiscus bushes. They're about three foot by three foot. Planted them in the same size container, same potting soil. One of them, the yellow one, is doing very well. The hot pink, almost red flowered, the leaves are drooping. Uh, it looks like it needs water, but I know that it doesn't. Okay. Um, I let it dry before I give it water, um, you know, both of them. And like I said, one is doing very, very well, and the other one, it is, it, it, it's just very unhealthy looking. They're are, probably about three, four weeks old. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I've had them at my home about four weeks. Sure. Now, are these, are we talking about the tropical hibiscus, or are we talking about the, uh, you know, the, the hardy varieties? Tropical. Okay. So if the leaves are drooping and you've watered adequately and everything else, then probably it means there's too much water there. So I don't know if one of them, the one that's not doing well, if the drainage holes are clogged up in the bottom of it or something and the water's not getting out of there. But usually when something droops and it's been well watered, that indicates that the root system is under major problems. I My tendency would be to pull it out of the pot you know, kind of shake as much of the and see how wet that actually potting mix is that it's growing in. And then okay. maybe get, you know, let it dry a little bit before you put it back in and then just be careful about watering it and check the drainage holes in the bottom of the pot. 
Okay, because they both have the very exact same pot. Right. And um, uh, so would the dirt that I've put, or the potting soil that I put in there, could it possibly clog the holes at the bottom? Certainly. I, you know, any, I okay. do a lot of container gardening. And all my containers, you know, regardless of the size of them, I put about, you know, a couple inches. Well, I shouldn't say regardless of the size. But I put, you know, some, you know, pea gravel. And in the bigger pots, I use river rock in the bottom of it to make sure that the drainage holes don't get clogged. Okay, I have rock in my landscaping, so I could just take a couple of handfuls of that and put it at the bottom of the pot. Right, exactly. And just make sure okay. that, you know, look for the hole and just make sure. I even use old broken, you know, terracotta clay pots, and, you know, they're kind of roundish, and I put those over the drainage holes as well before I put the rock in. Okay, all right. I'll give that a try. Thank right. you. And now let's go to Jenny, and Jenny is in Oakville. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Hi. Go ahead. Um, I have a woodland garden, and I do have some sunlight that comes through the canopy above it. But I have about five hydrangea plants that are about six years old. And the first three years, they bloomed beautifully. And the last three years, I have no buds and no blooms at all. That's, you know, that's a little tough to tell because... Uh, you know, do you know which variety of hydrangea they are? Are they oak leaf hydrangea? No, they are the ones that uh, you know. They're either uh, pink or blue. Okay. Uh, I would I say you just got lucky by getting the blooms. They're not really, you know, they really don't want to be in a you know a shaded area where they're competing with tree roots of that. You know, I don't know how many big trees or anything else you have in there, but to me, it sounds like they're being restricted by. The uh, root systems of the things that are creating the shade. Also, you're not doing any pruning, correct? Uh, well, I did read about them the first year that they didn't bloom, and uh, I read two different things. One said to prune, prune them back, and the other said not to. So I did some of them where I pruned them, and the other ones I didn't. And, and, the, and it didn't make any difference? No. Yeah, so I would say, and you're fertilizing them. Yes. Okay, so you're doing everything you can. So, you know, to me, it's just, I mean, you know, anything flowering, and especially like hydrangeas, it's a very difficult, you know, straining circumstance for them. So they just don't have the energy to set the flower buds. But I would not, definitely don't do any pruning whatsoever on them and just kind of keep your fingers crossed. And if by next year you get four years in a row with no flowers, I'd say get rid of them. Oh, okay. I mean, how patient can you be? Right. I mean, all, all the, the foliage is beautiful. Right. If you like the foliage, that's great. Take a selfie with the foliage, and then you can always pull it out. And you know, But uh, beyond that, if you're not getting – you're growing them for the flowers. You're not growing them for the leaves. Right. And, and actually, I have another variety. They're big, huge white ones, and the plants are huge. They're like four, four or five feet tall right. and about four feet wide. And they're kind of like in the same type of area with the same soil, the same light, and everything else. And they're they're beautiful. They yeah. bloom constantly. So the yeah, I mean the ones that are you know have the colors in them, they're just a little bit generally a little weaker. So I mean that's I can't think of anything else. If they look healthy, it's just a matter of too much competition, and the plant just doesn't have the energy to set the fl- or set the flower buds and then open the flower buds up. Okay. Then I have another little section uh, in that same garden area, and it's a pretty big area, but I have um, uh, a friend of mine give, gave me some ferns, and hers, when they uh, get as tall as they're supposed to, are about four foot tall, and right. they're just beautiful. And mine never get more than about 
18 inches, some of them even just 12 inches. That's maturity and, as much as anything. So your clump, I don't know how long you've had them in there, but that's what the problem is with that. So you're just oh, going to have to okay. be patient. Okay, so what should I be fertilizing those with? An acid-based fertilizer. So one that's, oh. you know, so just like with all the evergreens and that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, and I love your show. Well, thanks, and thanks for having me on your show. And thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, if you, I don't have a chance. Susan, I can't get to you today because we only got about 30 seconds left. But uh, if you start seeing small clumps of things that look like grass in your yard that are dying, turning brown, and they, what this probably is is annual bluegrass, and that's, I mean, they don't like the heat of the summertime. So just know that. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.